Good morning, Hope Church. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. Um, I shaved. I shaved, and by that, you know that two things are going on. Number one, the warm weather's coming. Don't need the winter coat anymore. But the second thing is, the Blackhawks are probably not going to make the playoffs this year. No need for a playoff beard this year. You guys know hockey, you'll know that what that means. If you're not, you can come and ask me later on. But, you know, I, I think many of you know that I have grandkids, and uh, I love my grandkids. I find it very interesting as I watch them grow, how they tend to repeat behaviors that I observed in my children as they were growing up. Out of my grandkids' mouths, I hear very similar expressions that I heard quite a few years ago. You guys ever experienced that? I mean, even if they're not your kids or uh, your grandkids, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, it's not unusual to hear generations repeating almost verbatim things that you heard a long time ago. Like when they get to the why stage, right? Everything is why, why. And what do parents say? What's their response? Because I said so. How many times have you heard that come out of your mouth? Because I said so. That seems to be the best reason that parents can come up with. What's worse, though, is when a child is asked a why question, and the response is, because, because, and then parents, no, no, kids can't say that. They can say because. They don't have the authority to do that. And I bet you your parents will uh, vouch for that. But parents will always tell them, you know, because is not a reason. Even though they give that kids the reason, because is not a reason. And I know that doesn't seem fair, but that's the way it is when you're a kid. But, you know, when you stop to analyze it, because is really not a good reason for anything. I mean, if someone were to ask you a why question and you simply answered because, well, that isn't enough. Because why? There has to be a reason behind our because. Unless, of course, you're talking to your five-year-old, then because I said so is plenty good. So what would your response be to the question, why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? What would your response be? Quite honestly, you need something more than because, right? Because isn't going to cut it. Because someone told you? No, that doesn't work. Because my parents believed it? No, that's not going to cut it either. And this honestly reminds me of a humorous story, and I've shared this with you before. If you've heard it, bear with me. But it's a story about a Christian and an atheist. And these two are talking. And inevitably, the subject of God and the Bible comes up. And the atheist says, you know, I don't believe in God or the Bible. I don't believe in that garbage. 
And the Christian says, oh, so you've read the Bible. And the atheist says, well, no. And the Christian says, oh, so then you're a moron. <laughs> a little offended now, right? The atheist says, what? To which the Christian replies, you know, a true atheist would have read the Bible done the appropriate research, and only then come to a conclusion about it. Anything less than that is unscientific and ignorant. And, you know, we can kind of chuckle about that, but, but let's turn it around. Let's put the shoe on the other foot. As Christians, if we blindly say that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God without knowing it, without knowing what's in it, without having done the research, friends, that too is unscientific and ignorant. You know, if we're going to stake our lives on this book, and we do, we certainly should have at the very least read it, but we must do our best to understand what it says. Besides, Jesus told us to what? Go, right, and make disciples. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And teach them to obey what? All that I've commanded you, right? Where do we find all that Jesus and God has commanded us? It's in the Word of God. It is absolutely critical to know what you believe. But friends, it is as important to know why you believe what it is you believe. And... Let's face it, if we're going to do our job and we're going to go out and we're going to spread the gospel, there will be questions. There will be questions that need to be answered. And because I said so is not going to cut it. We need to be prepared when someone asks us, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? Well, Today, we continue in our series of messages on the Word of God. And our goal at the end of all this, at the end of the series, is to be better prepared to give a defense for the Bible as the inspired word from the God of creation. Now, if you were with us in week one, we described the many ways that God has spoken to people in the past. For instance, God has spoken through decrees. It is by decree that he created the universe. Psalm 33 tells us, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Friends, God decreed it, and it was so. God also has spoken directly to his people, audible words from the mouth of God. We find that recorded in Matthew chapter 3, among other places, but there it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And this is God speaking out loud. Speaking so that people can hear it. Another way that God has spoken over time is through the lips of men. In particular, the prophets. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. God speaking through men. 
And then, of course, the method of God speaking that we know best, it's through the written word, right? Through the Bible. And because the writings of the Bible contain all of these modes of communication that we've just mentioned, that then becomes the focus of our study. This is what we zero in on. We put our faith in the fact that this is the word from the God of creation. We need to know it. Now, last week we looked at the Bible that we have before us today, right? The 66 books in our Bible as we see it today. And our goal was to determine which writings belong in the Bible and which do not. And after close scrutiny, we came to the conclusion that the books that we have in our Bible today are, in fact, the words from God. His greatest and final revelation to mankind. There is no more to be included in this book, and nothing should be taken away. It is complete as we have it. Now, I titled the sermon for today, The Word of God, How Do We Know? And our goal for this morning is to understand the authority and the power of the Bible. So the obvious question is, how do we know that this is the Word of God? Now, to answer that question, we need to consult our ultimate authority on all matters. And what is our ultimate authority on all matters? It's the Word of God, right? But hold on, because that kind of creates a little bit of a problem, right? And if you know anything about philosophy or logic, that is what we call circular logic, right? The Bible is the Bible because the Bible says it's the Bible, right? That's circular logic. However, that doesn't necessarily make that argument completely invalid. See, for any argument, for any argument, there must be an absolute authority, and it's not your wife, an absolute authority to which one must appeal for proof. And that authority is the Word of God. And we'll come to understand more about why that's true as we continue this morning. So what does the Bible say about itself? Well, we actually began to explore this in week one. If you remember, we saw that many passages begin with the phrase, Thus says the Lord. Hundreds of times we see this in the Old Testament. And with that phrase, the prophets are claiming that their words are the absolute authoritative words of God. In fact, the Bible makes that claim quite often. We find about 1,500 references in the Old and New Testaments to the Bible being the Word of God. And we are going to look at all 1,500 references this morning. I'm glad I got some chuckles there. You guys are awake. That's good. Although you wait. One of these days I am going to go till noon and you're going to go, well, he wasn't kidding, was he? But this is important. This is incredibly important. And I want you to stay with me because it's important to know that our ultimate authority claims to be the Word of God. Now, 
for those who kind of minimize that argument due to the circular logic that we mentioned just a few moments ago, what we have to understand is in order for those claims that we find in the Bible to be validated, you got to read the book. You have to read it. See, we become convinced of the Bible's claims as we read through the book. Our ultimate conviction that the words of the Bible are God's words comes only, only when the Holy Spirit speaks in and through the words that we find in the Bible. We mentioned this briefly last week. It is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and opens our hearts to the truth of Scripture. Paul prays for this very thing in Ephesians chapter 1. He says there, I keep asking, and this, by the way, as a parenthetical note, is a great, great lesson on prayer, right? Keep praying. Be persistent. Don't stop. Paul talks about this a lot. But he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And that's what our Christian lives really should be focused on, right? We spent a lot of time in that last series getting to know God, trying to understand as much as we possibly can about God and how he has revealed himself in his word. And it is the spirit of wisdom and revelation that assures us that these are the words of God. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In that particular passage, what he's doing is he's explaining that the teachings of the apostles consist of words taught to them by the Holy Spirit. In verses 13 and 14, he says, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. There's that spirit of wisdom and revelation that he prayed for the church at Ephesus. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is that apart from the Spirit of God, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, a person will never receive, will never believe the spiritual truths found in the Word. And that includes the claims that the Bible makes about itself that it is the Word of God. But, but for those in whom the Holy Spirit is working, it becomes clear, it becomes crystal clear that these are the words of God. We talked about this a little bit last week, the situation where Jesus in John chapter 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. By the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, we hear we hear the words of Christ as we read Scripture. And by this, we know that they are the words of God. They are the words of our good shepherd. 
So the Bible says it's the Word of God. And we are convinced by the Holy Spirit as we read it. Is there anything else that could convince us that this is the Word of God? Well, we certainly must consider the consistency and the truthfulness of the book itself. That, in fact, is convincing. As we mentioned in week one, the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years. Forty or so different authors in three different languages. Yet as we look at the content, the content from beginning to end, it is consistent in its message. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the story of God and His plan of redemption. And all the parts of the Bible, all of the different books, from all of the different writers, in all the different time periods, they all fit together. They all come together to form a cohesive book. No other book like it. No other book like it. No other book can compare. Only God could do something like that. And, and when we consider the prophecies of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and we've explored some of these in the past, but hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the birth of Christ, these prophecies were written. And then we see these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in the one and only Son of God. Depending on the resource that you're looking at, up to 250 or more prophecies about the Messiah, realized in Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. Only God, only God could have orchestrated something like that. No other, no other book like it. The Bible, the Word of God, consistent and truthful from beginning to end. So what, what can we learn from all of this? What can we, can we grab onto? What can we take home today? Well, I think the first thing is this. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the truth of Scripture. However, the fact that the Bible is the inspired Word of God must be received. It must be received. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, And we thank God continually. Another great lesson in prayer, right? Persistence. Paul was good at this. He never gave up. We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. And I want to pause in the middle of this, this verse here because Paul's making a very important point. He says, when you received the Word of God, and basically what this is, it is a presupposition. It's a presupposition. He's presupposing that the teachings of the Word brought to the Thessalonians are, in fact, the words from God. Paul is convinced that God had spoken to man, and what is written to that church is the Word of God. These are not mere human words but words with the authority of God himself. Paul goes on in that verse to say, you accepted it, 
In other words, you received it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So the church at Thessalonica received the word from Paul as it is. It is the word of God in truth. Paul presented it not as a word from man, but as a word from God. And it was received as such. And how did Paul know that they received it as the word of God? Well, he didn't have to just assume he could see it. He could see it at work in the lives of the people. Friends, God's word works. God's word brings about transformation. It brings about change. It renews our minds. It doesn't just just give us good information or make us feel good, although it does do that. No, it will alter, it will recast our actions. There's power in the Word of God to change lives. Philippians chapter 2 tells us it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. That's the whole reason that we're here, right? is to fulfill His good purpose. And when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth of the Word of God and we receive it, we cannot stay the same. We must change. We will change. The Word has the authority and the power. I love love what Matthew Poole says in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, and where and, and where the word is believed and received as the word of God, there it has this energy, or worketh effectually, so as to promote love, repentance, self-denial, mortification, comfort, peace. Friends, those are the marks of someone who has received the scripture as the word of God. Yet we know from experience that not everyone is going to receive the Word of God. Why? Well, quite honestly, that is part of the mystery of the Holy Spirit, you know, why some eyes are open and some are not. But you've got to remember that the fact that the Word is not received does not reflect upon the Word. No, it does not reflect upon the Word. It reflects upon the person who does not receive it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, You have not perceived spiritual things as true, but that is no proof that there is none to perceive. The whole case is like that of the Irishman who tried to upset evidence by non-evidence. Four witnesses saw him commit a murder. He pleaded that he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 people who did not see him do it. Of what use would that have been? So if 40 people declare that there is no power of the Holy Ghost going with the Word, this only proves that the 40 people do not know what the others do know. And friends, we know, we know, we are convinced that these are the words of God from beginning to end. 
These are the God-breathed, inspired words of God. So how are we to proceed knowing that there are some who will reject the word of God? They will reject the gospel. We just know that that's what's going to happen. That does not absolve us of our responsibility to share our belief about the word of God. We are still called to go and make disciples and teach others about the Bible. But here's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand that we simply expose them to the truth, right? We expose them to the truth and then let the Holy Spirit do its work. It's up to the Holy Spirit as to whether or not someone will receive the Word of God. It's not our job to convince them, right? I mean, we can't argue them into believing. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of make you feel good, though? Doesn't that, like, take the pressure off of you? You know, that it's, it's not up to us, it's not up to our depth of knowledge or our ability to debate, or we need to know the Word so that we can share it, but we share it and we allow the Holy Spirit to then do the Holy Spirit's work. Have you read the Bible? I mean, you really should, regardless of your mindset, whether you call yourself a Christian or you profess to be an atheist, you need to read the book. You need to read it. Only when you've read it and studied it can you make an informed decision about it. Maybe you're here today and you haven't read it. Maybe you even say, you know, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you even say, I am an atheist. You need to read this book. I pray that you would read this book. But you need to read it with an open mind. You need to read it with an open mind. Even if you don't believe in God, you have to say, God, you know, if you're really there, speak to me. Show me that this is your word, your revelation. Do that, and I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But start in John. Start in the book of John. And then circle back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Don't, don't try to read it like a regular book. Because it's not a regular book. Right? Do not try to read it from beginning to end. Because if you do, you probably get lost somewhere in Leviticus. Right? Wait until you're convinced that this is the Word of God and then read that. It will mean so much more to you. But you need to read the book. Regardless of where you're at today, let me finish with this. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. In other words, keep reading, continue in the Word, keep studying the Word of God. Why? Because? Just because? Because I said so? No, no. That's not a good reason. Unless you're talking to your kids. Then it works. No, because, as Paul goes on to say, 
you know those from who you learned it. Right? We know, friends, that these are the inspired words of God. They are written by the apostles of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit to recall and to write down all that Jesus said and did. And then this is, this is the beauty right here. Paul says, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, there's the goal. There's the gold. There's, there's the treasure. There's that pearl of great value, of eternal value. When we mine and we dig into the Holy Scriptures, in the Word of God, we find salvation. We find Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, our only hope for eternity. Friends, I, I pray that we would be a people that would have a passion for the Word of God, would dig into the Word of God and discover that treasure, Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we praise you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these holy and inspired words. And they are your words. We thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself, Lord. And I just pray that we would be a people that would be on fire, on fire for the word of God, the revelation from the God of creation that speaks to us today. Lord, we just thank you so much for your revelation. We pray that we would be people of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.